All right, come on down. Ushers. Are you coming? Yeah, I can count on it. Here we go. All right, Jesus, thank you so much that uh, you're not broke, and so neither are we. We have access to your kingdom and your kingdom resources, and we activate it by sowing seed into your kingdom. So I pray, Lord, that everybody in this house would have that revelation and have the faith to sow seeds into your kingdom so that we can see you break doors up down and bust doors open and give promotions and raises and unexpected monies and blessings that we cannot produce with our own hands. Lord, break open a revelation in this house that we can access heaven's resources and partner with you and that you have more than enough for every assignment, every need, and even dreams that we have on this side of heaven. Now we take authority over the satanic lies of doubt, fear, and unbelief, selfishness, and materialism, and we release a revelation of the kingdom expansion in this house and our hearts and minds. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right. So you guys ready for the word? Can I preach a little bit today? You guys ready? All right. Here we go. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being our teacher. So I'm going to teach while the offering is being uh, passed. Can you guys handle that? Yeah. All right. If you're here for the first time, welcome to the Gathering Place Church. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Love this place. Love these, these people. Love the leadership, and uh, most of all, we love Jesus and His Word. The last couple of weeks, we have been taking a real swing, a real crack at religion. Um, there, there, is a, there is a good definition of religion in the Bible. James called it, he says, true religion is this, to take care of the widows and the orphans in their time of need. So we can't completely dismantle religion in the godly sense of the word. But what we want to do is slam into this religiosity that calls itself Christianity. And I want to clearly separate Christianity from religion in our hearts and our minds so we can be free to be sons and daughters of God in Dad's house. We're going to look at that uh, deeply and specifically today and hopefully dismantle religiosity in our own hearts and minds because we all have a measure of it. Some of you are embalmed with it. Uh, And I'm praying that it really breaks out of your system so that you don't think Christianity is about going to church and an obligatory, uh, duty-driven thing you have to do because you're supposed to because you're a Christian. That's horrendous. That's a horrendous, horrible mentality to carry with you when you're actually a son or daughter of God in dad's house, and uh, you get to walk uh, with him, releasing heaven on earth. Next week, I'm going to talk about accessing heaven as sons and daughters of God. But I, I need to lay down this foundation uh, about our identity with God before we ever move into the accessing heaven's resources part. Because until there is a security inside of your heart and mind and your relationship with your father in heaven... Petitioning him is going to be really weird. It's all full of insecurity and shame and and weirdness. So I want to try to eliminate a lot of that today if we can so that you're walking so absolutely 100% secure in the Father's love that your faith is going to soar. Then you get to petition 
and access things from the throne of God in ways that you haven't even dreamed of because there's going to be such a freedom there in your relationship with him. So that's my, that's my goal today. So I'm going to separate religion and relationship like this. Imagine somebody inviting somebody over to your home that's never been to your house before. And they come to your house and uh, they see mom in the kitchen. She's cooking dinner. They see dad over there sitting down watching the football game with, with uh, his son. And you see some of the kids playing out in the, the, uh, the driveway. I'm talking about my house. The front yard. Uh, maybe one of the you know, kids are up in the room and they're Facebooking or Twittering or they're whatever. They're, they're talking to their friends. And one of them's reading a book. And I can keep going on because my family's large. And, uh, and then they gather around the table for dinner and they're eating and they're talking and they're having fun. And then afterwards you have dessert and, and uh, then you have a little conversation. And then they kind of spread off into the rooms. And it's just a family atmosphere, right? It's a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. And, and, uh, and, the, and this, this person that's never been to your home before gets to experience your family. And on their way out, you walk them out to their car and they turn and they say to you, you have got a really nice religion here. Wouldn't that just not fit? Wouldn't that be totally weird? Exactly. God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. I know it's all weird because he's God too and all that, but biblically and a family. You and I are sons of daughters in God's house. He is our Abba in heaven. Christianity is not a religion. It is a family. And God calls you and I into his family through his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Man. I could just close the book right now and just say hallelujah and go home. Ah. You see, this sense of belonging or not belonging is so deeply rooted inside of our psyche and our souls that we do all sorts of weird things to belong. We've been insecure since the fall. When Adam and Eve fell from Father God and they became little doers, they became performers, there's this, there's this lostness. There's this insecurity that's so deep in us we don't know where we belong. And we do all sorts of weird things to try to belong. We buy big houses so that we look rich. We drive the right car. We get the right friends so that we are in. We join the right clubs for prestige. We make sure we go to the right school so that we can say what school we went to so that it ups our profile. We wear the right clothes so we're cool. We perform at work, we out overperform at work. We overperform in sports. We overperform at a church because we want to be accepted. We want to belong. You look at someone like Justin Bieber. I mean, what happened to him? I mean, he's this, you know, baby-faced, you know, pure kid playing harmless music. And then all of a sudden he tries to act like he's, a, you know, some kind of a gangbanger or something. And it's just, people laugh, right? He just looks... Weird. What's he trying to do? He's trying to be accepted. He's trying to belong. He, he, wants to, he wants to be identified as someone that people you know, can embrace. You look at Miley Cyrus when she was Hannah Montana. 
I told my wife, she's going to go up the pipeline, she's going to start out innocent, and then she's going to sell her soul for fame and, and, and popularity. And that's what she did. Same thing with uh, Katy Perry. She wasn't making it. So she decides to write a song that's just completely inappropriate, and all of a sudden she becomes famous and that she was raised in church. I mean, she's a Christian. I mean, there are men and uh, boys and girls and men and women who will sell their soul and their core values to belong. It's a temptation we all have. You're at work as a Christian man. You start cussing and telling dirty jokes and entering into it. And on the inside, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Why? Because this is not who I am. But you want to belong. You don't want to be the outcast. Or girls who, who send digital images of their naked bodies to boys in school. The peer pressure for girls to have sex and to send images is prolific. You have no idea how much this is going on. The pressure for girls to have sex so that they belong, so they're not odd, or for boys to have sex. I mean, either they will or they'll lie about having it so they have some street cred. It's amazing what we will sell out to belong. The Father knows this. That's why he's calling us home. In Jesus. Because where you belong is in the family of God. And that family is eternal. And so you have to draw a line and decide, where am I going to belong? The worst place is to try to belong in both worlds. That is misery. And if you decide, all right, then forget it. I'm going to just belong in the world. You're going to end up like the young man that we're going to read about today. The end of that road is is complete devastation. And you'll end up coming back anyway. I remember one time, I was about 24 years old, I was really upset, really depressed, very discouraged, mad at God, the whole thing. I remember sitting on my couch in my one-bedroom apartment, and I thought about just walking away from God. Thank God my brain got ahead of my emotions, and I thought to myself, if I do this, I will lose the last little bit of peace I have left in my soul. And I will end up in pain, And I will end up crying out to God and coming back anyway. So I guess it would be best just not to leave. (laughs) I actually had that go through my mind. Thank the Lord that saved me a decade of craziness. So the only other option is to go over here and say, I'm going all in with God. That decision is the decision that brings you enormous peace. Then when you step into these social circles and these environments, you've already made the decision. And so you're able to be a son or a daughter of God in any environment you go into. And now you're about the Father's business. You don't care about belonging. This is what made Jesus so effective and so powerful. Jesus had no insecurity in his system, his soul, at all about who he was and who the Father was, why he was here, what his assignment was, and where he was going the day he was going to die. John 13 says it very plainly. Jesus, knowing he came from the Father, was going to the Father, and that all things were put into his hands, his resources, he knelt down and began to serve and wash his disciples' feet. He knew who he was, where he came from, where he was going, why he was here. And so when they wanted to make him king, the the Bible says Jesus did not commit himself to man 
to the people that were applauding him, saying, You're awesome, Jesus! You'll be our king! Be our king! It says Jesus did not submit himself to them, did not commit himself to that, the popularity, because he knew what was in man. He knew that these people are fickle. He knew one day they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna! The same people a few days later are saying, Crucify him, crucify him! He knew that. So he wasn't going to sell out his soul for the popularity of people. Can I hear an amen? amen? And you and I have that same temptation every day of our lives. That's why I have a security and your relationship with Abba is the anchor to your soul. Now Jesus, trying to get this message across to the religionists of his day, tells a parable that is probably, I don't know, it's got to be the favorite parable of all time. I want us to look at it today in Luke 15. This parable is called the uh, prod- parable of the, of the prodigal son. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. But really, in my mind, it's not the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the prodigal father. The word prodigal means lavish, extravagant. Now, we apply it to the son who extravagantly wasted all his father's inheritance that was his portion of it with riotous living. Uh, But really, I think this is more about the kindness, the overwhelming lavishness of love that the father has on undeserving children. And there's two children in this parable. One is the religion, religious son who sees his relationship with his father as nothing more than a duty. I have to be here. I'm going to do everything that it's supposed to be done the right way, cross the T's and dot the I's. And I will earn my father's favor. Then there's the son that's the rebellious son. And he just decides, I don't care about my dad or what my dad's about, or my dad's house. I want to live independently from him and go do my own thing. I want to go have some fun and live life my own way and steward my own destiny. Neither one of the sons are in a relationship that the father intended. You have one who's in a relationship with his father that's in religion. You have one in a relationship that's in rebellion. Neither one of them are just in a relationship with their dad. We want to be in that middle category. Well, we had this, just forget about all the religious trapping. Let's just start with Abba. I thank God that Heather introduced that song, Abba, I Belong to You. I want to sing that at the end of this little speech today. That song has been on my lips ever since she introduced it. And we've played it every Sunday. In my prayer times, I personally have said Abba more in the last two weeks than I had my entire Christianity. It really went in me. I mean, I get this before you guys get it because I get to study it and then God puts it in me and I come and tell you what he told me or what I got. That's how you, that's how you teach. And I've been saying Abba to him in prayer. I feel, so, I feel so much closer to God than I have in a long time. Not because I've done anything better or different, but just because this revelation that I am his son. He's my Abba. He's my daddy, has been just percolating in me and germinating in me. It's getting stronger and deeper. And it's the, the peace is increasing. The joy is increasing. My faith is increasing. I want this for you as well. I know some of you are beyond me, but the point is I'm growing. And that's how we do this. We all grow together. So verse 11, it says this. Jesus tells this parable because he wanted to bust up religion in Jerusalem at the time that he was a teacher there. Luke 15:11. Then he said a certain man had two sons. 
Now, this word son here is sons and daughters, of course, in the, uh, whenever you see, in this parable, obviously, I have two sons. But whenever we talk about the sons of God or the children of God, it is sons and daughters equally. I've been teaching that for a couple of weeks. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 6, I shared this the last couple of weeks. That's been the chunk that we've read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who, um, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, chose us before the foundations of the world, that we would receive the adoption of sonship, and uh, that we've been uh, before him in holiness and love, and that we are accepted in the beloved. I mean, that whole chunk of Scripture is just so fat with our relationship with him. And there's the word in there, chosen, and adopted, that we've been adopted into the family of God. This is where a lot of insecurity comes into our Christianity, is we know that we've been invited into the family of God, but we just we see this word adoption, and we really don't understand it. Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to develop that next week. I don't have time to unpack that today. But um, I want to just remove insecurity from our system, and uh, I'm going to teach that next week when I talk about accessing heaven, because I don't have time to develop that today. Yes? Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, but I decided Ray's not going to teach. She's going to sit. I'm going to teach because I have something to say. And Ray needs to hear this. No, so what I'm going to do is next Sunday, Ray's going to teach, and then I'm going to leapfrog to the final Sunday uh, in the series. So according to Lewis's recommendation, when I was in this a uh, couple weeks in, he said, make it a four-week series. Why does it have to be three weeks? I love teaching a hungry church. So we make it a four-week series. That was prophetic. You thought you were just being obnoxious. All right. So I'll develop the, the, the uh, sonship later. So he had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, you have to understand in the Jewish culture, in that, in that culture, this is really rude. This is a complete insult to the father. Sons and daughters are allowed to have the, their portion of their inheritance given to them before the father dies. But, it's, but, but coming and asking for it means I really don't care about you. I don't care about your house. I don't care about your purposes. I want my money now. Give me my portion because I'm going to go live my own life. This is what happened in, the, in garden, the Garden of Eden. Sin is living independently from God. Sins come from that sin. But the original sin is independence. I want to live my life my own way. God can't tell me what to do. That's what he's doing right here. Now, he's painting a picture for the religionists, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that are listening to the rabbi Jesus tell this story. What Jesus is purposely doing is painting the most, the grossest, most inflammatory, the most offensive scenario a religious Jewish mind could ever imagine. He is trying to offend them to the depth of the core of their religious being. The first point is he asks for his inheritance before it's his time. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal, riotous living. Now, you have these Pharisees listening to this, and you see that, first of all, he has completely insulted his father. Secondly, he takes his inheritance before it's time. 
Then he goes to a far country. He leaves his countrymen behind, his culture, his people. He just says, forget you. I mean, you can see these Pharisees listening to this story, man. They're getting angry and angry at this, this pathetic, rebellious son. And then he takes his father's inheritance and he just spends it on drugs and alcohol and women and all this riotous partying. I mean, these Pharisees are getting angrier and angrier. Now, in their mind, they're already thinking, done. This son is no longer a son. I mean, in their mind, they've written this guy off already. I mean, you just see, their, you see, the, see them getting frothed in the mouth and their eyes turning red with... Judgment and anger and hatred and disdain. That's what religion is. That's what religion does to those who have fallen away from God or become rebellious. Religion's mean. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. I wonder who did that. And he began to be in want. Now, you know, the Pharisees were saying, well, deserves him right. Yeah, that's right. Judgment. That's what he deserves. Let him have it. This is what they're feeling. This is what a religious spirit feels like. That's what they deserve. Let him have it. This kid had decided that he didn't want the health and the wealth and the love of his father's house. So he decides, I'm going to go out. And I'm just going to live my own life. He thought he could steward his own destiny better than his father's value system. And then he soon found out that he cannot steward his own destiny very well at all. And he is completely broke. Completely destitute. No friends. No father. No money. No purpose. And the religious spirit says... Oh, well. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Oh, my gosh. The Pharisees at this point are like starting to froth at the mouth, right? They're like convulsing, right? They have, he, he, is, he is covenanted with a non-Jew. I mean, in covenant with him. I mean, at this point, they are like, Enough. Enough. We can't, we can't handle any more of this. Ichabod. Ichabod. The glory has departed. But Jesus wasn't done yet. And he went to work with the swine. Now, you know, you're not going to be feeding a kosher Jew pork for Thanksgiving dinner, right? The swine, the pigs, are the most filthy, worst animal in the minds of a Jewish person. And Jesus, why is Jesus taunting? Why is he doing Why did he have to pick the pig? Seriously. You understand what he's doing. He's trying to offend their religious mind so they can see the love of the Father. Because they think their relationship and right, right standing with God is about their perfection and their performance, their religiosity. So he paints this picture. Do you ever see the... the the movie Amadeus. Remember Salieri? He says, oh, if you'll make me the greatest composer in all of Europe, I will dedicate my life to you, Jesus. And he becomes a pretty good composer, right? And he's so sanctimonious. Then you have Amadeus, this pig of a person. 
right? And God just says, I'm just going to anoint this kid. And just gives him, just gives him this amazing musical talent. And then when Salieri and Amadeus first meet, Salieri just plays for the king, this incredible composition, while this prodigy, Amadeus, is waiting out in the king's courts, right? And, he, and finally they let him come in. So he comes in, he's like kind of sloppy, and, you know, Salieri, he's all pious. He's the Pharisee. He's just all dressed just right. He's talking just right. And then all of a sudden, here comes this pig into the king's courts. And the king says, did you just hear... Oh, would you like, would you like Salier? He just wrote me a new composition. Would you like to hear his composition? And Amadeus said, oh, no, I heard it when I was out in the, in the courts waiting for you. And Salier says, oh, you did. Would you like to play it? And Amadeus says, oh, all right. He sits down and he starts playing it verbatim. And then he goes, and he goes uh, uh, that doesn't quite work, doesn't it? Well, what if we did this instead? <laughs> And you, that was the moment where you see the seething, the seething envy and hatred for this pig. Jesus is creating, per se, allow me, this, this Amadeus, this son who no longer should be a son in the minds of these Pharisees, these religionists. In verse 16, so that's, that's the mindset of the Pharisees at this point. In verse 16, and the son would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. He's come to a place in his life, and this is what happens when you run from God. This is where you end up. When you decide that you don't want to have a relationship with God and church and all that kind of stuff, and you just want to go your own way, you end up, God will set this up for you because he wants you back. There's a famine in the land, and he ends up broke destitute, lost. You think you have friends, but you don't have any money left. And so there you are working with the pigs. And literally he asked for the pods. You know, you get these peas and you get the, you know, the, you get the little pod on the outside of the pea, right? The, the, the leafy substance that you throw away. He actually wanted to eat. He's so done, so destitute, so broke, so far gone. He wants to eat the pods that the pigs won't even eat. But they wouldn't even give him the pods. God brought him all the way down to the end of himself. For the purpose of redemption. The religionists think it's for the purpose of destruction. But God wants his son home. But when he came to himself, verse 17, and that's the big, that's the big scripture right there. When he came to himself. That's God's intent. When a son or a daughter has run too far, God will set up a scenario to where you finally come to yourself and say, I am a complete idiot. That's the turning point. That's the grace. That's why I just didn't go, because I knew that's where I would end up. Not that I've never walked away to a certain degree, but, I, you know, the 30 years I've never completely just went because I know this is where I'll end up and I don't want to experience that. How about you? He says that it was in his own mind, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's interesting. When he sinned against his father, he recognized he'd also sinned against heaven. 
I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, shame has this profound ability to re-identify you. When you sin, shame will say, you're no longer a son. You're no longer a daughter. You're a servant at best. Many of you, now I'm going to say that may be an overstatement. Some of you, many people, many believers, and maybe some of us in this house today, you really feel like you've lost your status with God because of your sin. And you've decided, I'm just going to be on plan B. I'm in the doghouse. This is my penance. I don't dare just be free in the presence of God because I have, I've really sinned badly. I'm a servant in the house of God. And you take on the servant posture as though it's, it's spiritual, but really it's not. It's shame-driven. But God's grace is so much more powerful than shame. God's grace reinstates us. We never lost our status to begin with. But grace takes the shame off, takes the guilt off, and says, You're still my son. You are still my daughter. That has never changed. Let me ask you a question. How far gone does your son or daughter have to be before you will utter the words, You are no longer my son. You are no longer my daughter. How far gone does your son or daughter have to be for those words to come out of your mouth? They never will, will they? They will never come out of your mouth, will they? Because your son or your daughter or your son or your daughter forever. Now, let me ask you this. Do you always approve of your son or daughter's behavior? Okay, okay, listen. We're about ready to cross a bridge here that's really important in your relationship with Abba, your relationship with God. I have met so many believers that are so insecure. I'm not saying this to be judgmental because I used to be one of them. I was riddled with, with insecurity in my relationship with God for years until I got the shame broken. And I had a shame base instead of a grace base. Now that I have a grace base, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm operating in more spiritual health than I used to is all I'm saying. So I know what spiritual insecurity feels like. Man, it's a devil. And what I found is there are those, there are sons and daughters of God who cannot tolerate hearing that God is not, does not approve of you. As though somehow that, that puts a crack in the foundation of their sonship and daughtership with him. Because they confuse approval with acceptance. If there's one thing you ought to know in a, in a family is that you are accepted. As a son or a daughter in that house, there should be no insecurity. In that uh, passage we gave, uh, I'm going I'm to ask you to pull this passage up, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. This last phrase in the New King James uh, is one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible. In uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, Ephesians 1, 6. Oh, yeah. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Say it again. Say grace. grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise to, of the glory of his grace. That's how big his grace is. That you can praise it and it's full of glory. By which, by the grace, not your performance, by which he made us, say it out loud, accepted. He made us accepted. Not in our performance, but in the beloved. 
in Christ. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become a son or a daughter of God forever. You are accepted in the beloved. You are in the family. It doesn't matter how far you run, how bad you are. God will never reject you because of your behavior. He may not approve of your behavior, but he will never reject you because of it. And because we can't, because we can't be mature about these things and confident about these things and, 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 and uh, feel safe enough in our understanding of our relationship with the fathers, our dad, that this is never going to be broken. When God's disapproving of us, it just completely undoes us because we think we equate it with rejection. This is why some people don't, can't handle uh, accountability very well. Because they, they think if you, I, we hold you accountable, we're judging you. That's a person who doesn't want any accountability. When you call accountability judgment, you're judging me. No, I'm not. I'm just calling, I'm calling truth, truth, and what's real. You know, I mean, I'm trying to help you because you're acting like an idiot. You're going to hurt yourself and those around you, so cut it out. Well, you're judging me. No, you just don't like accountability. I'm trying to hold you accountable so you can be successful. I'm the best friend you have right now. You see, it has nothing to do with the breaking of a friendship or the breaking of a son-daughter relationship. That's accountability for acting like an idiot. It's trying to help you. Or, if they don't call it judgment, many are so insecure that when you try to bring correction or direction or discipline, they equate it as rejection. So you have to walk on eggshells with them. You try to bring a little bit of correction and they just crumble because maybe when they grew up, they had a very dysfunctional relationship with their father. And so when they, you try to give them any correction, they can't handle it because they interpret it as rejection. We've got to know that we are accepted in the beloved. We've got to know that we're in dad's house. And dad may not always appreciate or approve of our behavior. I thank God for that. The Bible says that if you're without discipline, you are not a son or a daughter. Now, look, let's separate these two things real quick. Punishment and discipline are completely different. Punishment is about the past. You did this, you get that. Now it's all even. There's no redemptive value in it whatsoever. Discipline is, you did that? Oh, man. Okay. I'm going to have to give some accountability measures here, some consequences, which many parents won't do these days and they're raising little brats. Consequences. Yelling doesn't do it. Warning doesn't do it. Consequences. Take something away. Some kind of discipline so that you don't grow up to be an idiot. This is about you becoming successful. So I'm going to put it into account. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So you can't just let them make up their own decision, their own rules. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. So the rod of discipline, whatever that accountability measure is, is love. You're doing it for their sake so that they can grow up to be successful. And so the Bible says if God doesn't discipline you, you're not even his son or his daughter. It says that Jesus says, I discipline those that I love. So God already absolutely has accepted you into the family as his son or daughter, and he accepts you. But he doesn't always approve of you. It's kind of like this ring that's on my finger right here. This is, why it's, this is why it's so damaging to have sex before marriage or to live together before you're married. 
Because without the covenant of permanent commitment, you can't, you can't go into levels of intimacy that make you deeply insecure because you've given yourself to that other person to the deepest core of your being. Your sexuality is the deepest core of who you are. And you have given that to somebody. And your souls have become one. And yet you have not made a permanent commitment to one another. And what it does is breeds deep insecurity in that relationship. You're pretending to be a family when you're really not. That's what that's about. It's not like, oh, I can't have sex because I'm a Christian. It's just so stupid. The commandments of God are about life and health and wholeness. It's not about religion. So my wife and I have had some really tough times. Our first year of marriage was really, really tough. She just didn't know how wonderful I was yet. And listen, I know some of you have been divorced. I am not casting a shadow on you whatsoever. I hope we make it all the way. That's my hope. But I've seen marriages that have been great marriages that, that just broke apart because it was just, just bad situations and pain and that kind of stuff. So I'm not throwing any judgment. All I'm saying is if you, if you are in a relationship and in the back of your mind there's a back door or a side door, there's, there's little chance you're going to make it. When I put this ring on, well, this one I've got in Hawaii when I was out in Hawaii and Kevin and Rox were, were there. Hope got this for me, uh, and the flight was about ready to leave, and all the kids are gathered around. She, she, she had wanted to get this for me for Christmas, and so she was waiting to go to Hawaii to get it because this is a case you would from Hawaii. And, and what's the, what's the, uh, well, yeah. And, um, and so we're all sitting in the, in the, the room, in the hotel room. The flight's going to leave soon. The, the, the van's down front, they're waiting for us, and she gives me the ring, and the kids are all watching. She's so excited to give me this new ring, and I go, <gasps> and I saw her face just drop. There's no time to turn, go back and get a ring that would actually fit. And the kids are looking at mom, looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, well, I ain't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this sucker ain't coming off, man. <laughs> if we ever did get divorced, the new lady in my life is just gonna have to deal. <laughs> this baby ain't coming off, man. Don't worry about getting a ring, I already got one. <laughs> but here's the point we are covenanted together. So whenever we have a fight, or whenever there's our brokenness afflicts one another, or whatever happens, we, or we disapprove of one another's behavior, there's no threat to the relationship. Because we're married. There's a security there, there's a foundation there that we know is immovable. That's how the Father wants us to relate to Him. The foundation of sonship and daughtership is immovable. I know there's an unpardonable sin, but come on, none of you have committed that or you wouldn't be here today. It doesn't mean you can run around and act like an idiot. I mean, do you want to end up, you know, begging for the pods of, you know, peas that pigs eat and being broke and purposeless and destined? You want that? And then 
have at it. But that's not the point of the message today. The point of the message isn't a license to go sin and act stupid. The, the, the point of the message today is you belong to God. You are his precious son and daughter. And we should be the most secure human beings on earth. I can't finish this message today because I'm out of time. I'm going to ask Mark to go on up to the stage there. But I do want to read this, this verse. This is, a, this is an amazing verse. Once you start getting this re- revelation that you're not in a religion, that Christianity is not a religion, that you really are in a relationship, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then he has breathed the spirit of his son into you, that cries out, Abba, Daddy. That you were born again. That means you were born into the family of God. Once you get this revelation, you start seeing all sorts of scriptures in the Bible. You don't read them through a religious lens anymore. You start reading them through a relational lens. Now look at this, look at this scripture. This is in the PowerPoint, Chris. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. Look at this passage. If Jerusalem says, now Jerusalem was the prodigal at this point. They had fallen away from God. And Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forsaken us. God's response. Say this word out loud. Never. This is God responding. Some of you may feel like God has forsaken you. And God says to you as his son and daughter, never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? That's a rhetorical question. Of course not. Then he says, but even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. God has tattoos. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls and ruins. In other words, you and I are Jerusalem now. Even if you were to go to the place of rebellion to where you are with the pigs. The father says, your broken down life, your broken down soul is always on my mind. Those of you who have kids, I talked to a mother today before church with tears in her eyes talking about her her son, her wayward son. Her son is always on her mind. When you and I run from God, He's not, in his heart, he doesn't have judgment. His heart's broken. That's why in this parable, it says when the sun was a long way off. When the sun was a long way off. He had come to his right mind. He's headed home. He's headed home to dad's house. He's hoping he can at least be a servant. Oh, man, the rest of this is just, you've got to go home and read the rest of this. Unbelievable what God does. It ticks off the religious son so bad that what, what God the Father does to the wayward son. But as the son's coming home, a far, a far way off, it says the father saw him. How's that possible? Unless the father was up in a high tower somewhere or up on a hill somewhere, the highest hill he could find, looking on the horizon every day for his son to come home. 
And when the son comes home, he had this speech ready. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Make me just one of your hired servants. When the father saw the son, the father starts running to the son to meet his son. Dives on him. Starts kissing him on the neck. And the son starts his speech, his confession, which is good. He starts his confession. I have sinned against heaven and earth. And the father interrupts his confession and says, Bring out the fatted calf. Get the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. My son was dead. He's alive. He's home. And they throw this massive party. But the religious son was out here in the field. When he finds out what's going on, it makes him angry because that's religion. Religion cannot stomach forgiveness and grace and mercy. Some of you have a little religious committee lives in your head. And it's telling you you don't deserve God's favor. You don't deserve the robe and the sandals and the feet. You're at least a servant, maybe a slave. You need to tell that voice right now, right now, as I'm talking, tell that voice to shut up in Jesus' mighty name. Because you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are not a servant or a slave. You are a son or a daughter of God. And God's grace is enough for you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, let's all stand. Let's just take a moment. And I want us to sing this song one more time.